I'm Jim Collison and live from the Gallup campus here in Omaha, Nebraska, this is Gallup's Theme Thursday, recorded on September 24th, 2015. <music> theme Thursday is a Gallup webcast series that dives into the Clifton Strengths Finder themes, one theme at a time. Today's theme is competition. If you have questions, comments, or contributions during the webcast, we do have a live chat room that's available for you. It's right below the main video window. So if you're watching us at coaching.gallup.com, uh, uh, on the live page, you can log in. We'd love to have you in our chat room as, as well. It's the best way to get live questions into the program. Don't forget to visit the Gallup Strength Center. That's just gallupstrengthcenter.com for all your coaching resources and training needs. You can also catch the video, both streaming and downloadable audio. Best way is to subscribe to one of our, our, our uh, RSS feeds on iTunes or Stitcher. There's lots of ways to do it on Android. Recover that time that you'd be traveling in the car on a train in a plane. Great way to do that uh, as you're traveling. All that is available on the Coach's blog. Go to coaching.gallop.com. Mara Hookerhouse is our host today. Uh, she works as a... Uh, and actually, Mara, I didn't ask for your title in advance. So we'll say, are you a senior or an advanced learning... Advanced. You're an advanced learning development <laughs> uh, consultant here, uh, here at Gallup. And Mara, it's great to see you and welcome to a Theme Thursday. Thanks. Excited to be here. Excited. Take a second and walk us through. Uh, tell us. Let's do this. Tell us a little bit about you. I don't normally do that, but you and, and what you do for Gallup. Um, sure. As a learning and development consultant for Gallup, I always say my job is uh, is to create individual and organizational transformation. So I'm a Gallup Strengths Coach. I teach a lot of our courses, and I help to architect a lot of the um, learning and change interventions that uh, our enterprise clients use. And tell us your top five. My top five, strategic, maximizer, relator, responsibility, and arranger. And competition is right there at number eight. So it's, it's holding strong. And if you're a th Theme Thursday fanatic, we have seen you before. We had you on for arranger. That's right. Uh, almost a year ago, I think, at this point. Is, wow. uh, is when we got that one. I think it was way back early in the winter of last year. So, um, uh, Mara, take a second, introduce our guest, and then dive in a little bit to the theme overture. Yeah. Well, I'm super excited to be um, introducing you all to Jamie Libro. I'll let her tell you a bit more about her, but she has competition in her top five and is is using it using it to be very successful in work and in life. So she actually, uh, we were joking earlier, lobbied hard to be the voice and face of competition on this call today. Um, so we're excited to maybe dispel some biases that competition has surrounding it and maybe give um, the viewers and listeners a chance to appreciate some, some of the nuances that competition brings. So with that, I know it's tradition to start with the theme overture and really spend a little bit of time unpacking the theme. So really the essence of competition is comparison. People with strong competition talents are instinctively aware of other people's performance as compared to their own, and they're driven to achieve even higher levels of performance. They want to be the best, they're driven to win. And it's really that deep aspiration for first place that drives them to outwork, outperform, outdo, outsell, outscore, outteach, outnegotiate, or outshine the competition. People strong in competition talents are willing to put in the time and energy and effort to come out on top. 
they will do the research, they'll practice, they'll train, they'll study in order to ensure victory. And they really bring that determination and grit, but also they bring an enthusiasm and um, an energy and a spirit to the chase. They're at their best when they're able to measure their progress against the performance of others. We really talked about comparison being at the root of competition. So these individuals need tangible metrics, scorecards, and other types of performance indicators to know they're doing well. Uh, timed events, finish lines, weekly numbers, updates, tracking sheets, awards, goals, points, referrals, client hours, steps on the Fitbit, you name it. Right? If it can be measured, then you can bet people with high competition talents are keeping track. And the comparison really serves as a strong external motivation. So for them, clarity comes through comparison. If you have high competition, it's probably not enough just to do your best. You're striving to be the best. Second place is a loss, and losing is no fun. So oftentimes, these folks seek out challenges. Go big or go home, right? I mentioned they're willing to work hard, they're willing to compete, they're willing to try. One of the things I really admire about people with high competition is they're willing to put themselves out there to push and to give something their all. And when on teams, they use their competitive spirit to light fires under their teammates and help them believe that they too can achieve greatness. So they are the rallier of troops and they stimulate innovation and spur team performance to operate at high levels and outperform the competition. And because they love a good competition, people with competition talents want to compete with the best. And they can lose energy when they're surrounded by mediocrity. Their deeds and accomplishments are elevated by another strong competitor. In fact, they often seek out and study the best. They admire champions. They have heroes. Um, we oftentimes talk about raw versus mature talent. A raw talent means it's uninformed, uneducated, and underdeveloped. And so when competition is in its raw state, um, they may be sore losers. They could feel bad after a loss and say, I despise losing and I hate the pe people who defeated me. You know, I think of John McEnroe, the tennis star who became infamous, right, for his confrontational behavior with umps on the court because he argued, he threw fits, he threw rackets during <laughs> games, right? So when things were going his way, he was a really sore loser. And that kind of behavior lead, can lead to barrier labels um, of these people, such as poor sport, crybaby, not a team player, puts down others, a sore winner maybe, a braggart, kind of that unsportsmanlike conduct, um, self-centered, confrontational. When it's mature though, it's, it's invested in, it's developed, it's educated and informed. And someone with mature competition talent will still suffer some of those same losses, but they're going to say, I despise losing, but I respect the person who defeated me. They channel their... Um, bad feelings from a loss as motivation to do something better next time. When I was trying to think of an example of this, this may sound um, funny, but I was thinking of American Ninja. Maybe you, you've, seen, you've seen it on TV lately. Uh, it's a fierce battle as people take over obstacles and try to get to the end. But what I've noticed about that is that these um, athletes, when they're done attacking the obstacle themselves, they're the loudest cheering in the stands for their competition and the first to give someone a hug who beats their time.
So they really push each other and admire one another as competitors. Um, by the numbers, here's what we know when we look at our database of 12 million. Competition is the um, 26th most common theme to fall in someone's top five. So it's, it's pretty rare and that rarity could explain some of the bias towards it because it's a minority theme. That means about 11% of people have it in their top five. Um, maybe this wouldn't surprise you, it is more common in men. Um, it's number 11 most common in men and number 30 most common in, in women. A little bit more um, kind of nerdy data for those of you that are interested. Um, statistically, it's most likely paired with Achiever. I think that makes sense. They both bring um, a drive, a stamina, an energy, a push. They're both playing the end game. But there's a difference, certainly, when it comes to motivation. Um, achievers are very much internally motivated, while as uh, people with high competition are, are externally motivated. A metaphor that Kurt Liesfeld used to always share is that of running a race. And it really highlights the difference between achiever and competition because the person with high competition will physically run faster when there's someone in the lane next to them. And the person with achiever will run, will run faster when they're looking at the clock and pushing for a personal best. Um, least likely to be paired with competition is connectedness. It's kind of an interesting least likely. Um, my theory is that people with uh, high competition are very much self-determinists, right? I'm going to compete to win and I'm going to do the work to get to the outcome. Therefore, my fate is in my hands. Versus oftentimes people with high connectedness have that belief that everything happens with a reason and there's, um, you know, kind of that, that causation effect. And so maybe that right. steers itself towards like a less determinism. Right. So you're talking about like locus of control. Exactly. That, the concept right. of do I have, so people with competition would have a strong internal locus of control and believe that they could control their fate. And, and uh, whereas connectedness would have an external locus of control that the world is just going to happen. Yeah. Right. So does that, ring, that theory. Yeah. does that ring true with your, your competition then? Exter it's an external locus of control. It's, yeah, it's a high internal locus of, that I could control everything. So yes, I'm going sorry. to try. Right. Yep. Yeah. Sorry to interrupt. I'm no. really enjoying what you're saying so far. Yeah. Excellent. Um, a few other thoughts. I know we like to kind of think about... Um, Comparing and, and contrasting, um, some, going along with that race metaphor, um, you know, competition and significance sometimes um, can look similar. There's still that drive to be out in front, um, in front of people. Um, you know, people with high significance are going to run that same race faster when there's someone watching and cheering them from the stands. So competition says, when I watch others perform, I get better. Significance says, when others watch me perform, I get better. Um, you know, competition versus um, analytical. They're both concerned with evidence, with data, with proof. For those high in competition, the scorecard measures my progress and validates my victory. For those with high analytical, um, data quantifies my experience and validates my theories. Um, you know, a, a few more kind of thoughts in the overture. 
I mentioned at the beginning that there seems to be a lot of bias around this theme. I'd say of all 34, this is probably one that seems to get the worst rap. And I know Jamie's excited to help dispel nice. that uh, that today. But maybe just a brief comment on on perhaps the nature of that bias. It was really highlighted for me yesterday when I was looking for quotes to share to help articulate kind of the, this theme. And so I Googled, you know, quote sayings about competition. And um, to my surprise, most of the quotes that popped up were really um, to the effect about letting go of competition with others and that your only true competition was, with, was within yourself. Or they would say, look in the mirror. That's your competition. And so we seem to have this belief that somehow it's bad to compare yourself to others. And we idealize the person who doesn't need to look outside themselves for motivation as if to look outward to gain energy is somehow needier or shallower than looking inward to gain energy. And it really got me thinking about the value of competition in the broad sense because in many aspects of life we do promote comparison and competition like in sports. We glorify the athletic hero um, who pushes their mind and bodies to do the impossible. And um, I think Magic Johnson was the one who said, if you're a competitive person, that stays with you. You don't stop. You're always looking over your shoulder. Or Jamie, you shared the quote with me from Joe Namath, a, a professional football coach, when you win, nothing hurts. And so in sports, we value competition, but we also value it in aspects of our personal life. Competition keeps prices down on goods and services. We don't compare, um, and we don't compare when we make choices about where to spend our time, money, and, um, excuse me, don't we compare, right, when we're making choices about where to send our kids to school or what car to buy. You know, that value of measure, measurement and comparison is clear. And, um, you know, competition separates the weak from the strong when it comes to species. So I share those examples with you just to hopefully spark your thinking about the value of competition as we move into this discussion. And maybe I'll just close out, because I'm anxious to hear from you, Jamie, um, with a quote that you actually shared with me that really resonated with you. And uh, a shout-out to Brent O'Bannon, who is a strengths coach and coach of coaches who also has competition and shared it with you. And it's from Theodore Roosevelt. It's called The Man in the Arena. And it goes like this. It says, It is not the critic who counts, not the man who points out the strong man stumbles, or where the doer of deeds could have done them better. The credit belongs to the man who is actually in the arena, whose face is marred by dust and sweat and blood, who strives valiantly, who errs, who comes short again and again, because there is no effort without error and shortcoming, but who does actually strive to do the deeds, who knows great enthusiasms, the great devotions, who spends himself in a worthy cause, who at the best knows in the end the triumph of high achievement, and who at the worst, if he fails, at least fails while daring greatly, so that his place shall never be with those cold and timid souls who neither know victory nor defeat. So with that, mm -hmm. Jamie, tell us about yourself. Um, would love to know a little bit about you, your top five, and why you lobbied and, of course, won <laughs> to be the voice of competition right. on this call. <laughs> right. Well, it turns out I wasn't competing against anyone else. So. <laughs> Because I didn't have to fight as hard as I uh, as I did, but right. uh, yeah, but it's such an honor to be here. Thank you so much for having me, uh, Jim and Mara. 
Uh, I'm a senior learning uh, solutions consultant for Gallup, so I spend half of my day with coaches who are thinking about our certification program and coaching them as to whether or not that's the right move for them, and the other half coaching coaches who have already been through the program and, and need my help. And uh, I still keep one executive coaching client. I'm working with a half a billion dollar retail company, coaching their C-suite and their VPs. I like to say I try to keep one real client for my street credit. Uh, <laughs> that's the New Yorker and me coming out, I think. <laughs> but uh, I'm based in Gallup's New York office, although you'll probably pass me in airports from time to time fairly frequently as I'm traveling all over the country talking about StrengthsFinder and, and our mission. My top five are Achiever, Woo, Focus, Arranger, and Competition. Mm -hmm. Great. So, well, and so, so why, why competition? Why are you so passionate about helping people see right. the light with competition? Sure. I've spoken to over 4,000 strengths coaches in the last three years, and competition is that strength that everyone says to me, huh, why, why is that one a strength? It's so interesting that you have that one, Jamie. Tell me what's good about it. And, you know, that really, that, that breaks my heart sometimes. Uh, and so I really want to champion the good points of competition. It's a lot of fun to talk about the, the sore points and the low points and being a sore loser. I, th I thought you, you pointed that out really nicely, covered that really objectively, Mara. Uh, <laughs> so today I really want to focus. I have positivity number six, so you'll, you'll probably hear that come out. So I really want to show everyone the positive side of competition. Yeah. I also had another motivation. Uh, I also want to make the point that strengths don't have a gender. So even though it is substantially more common in men, women have competition too, and it could be beautiful there. Men can have empathy, and it's beautiful when they do. And so I wanted there to be a female face for our competition segment that we did. Love it. Well, so let's talk about the, the balcony and the value of competition. Um, can you share maybe a story that epitomizes how you have productively used your competition theme in uh, work or in life? Mm -hmm. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, and, and a third myth I want to dispel is that people with competition can't be great managers. Uh, certainly, I can't speak for everyone in the world who has competition, but it, it could be really negative if you're competing against your direct reports. But before I came to Gallup, I was the director of a SCORE education center in, in New York, and I asked them to give me the worst center that they had because I wanted to have a great turnaround story. So this is, uh, I loved what you said before, Mara, about seeking out challenges, and even just that, that Brent's poem, uh, Brent's Theodore Roosevelt poem that he shared, it's about that daring greatly. Uh, anytime I hear that line, it just gives me chills. I think Brene Brown wrote a book called Daring Greatly, assumably based on that, hmm. that quote. Um, but at, at SCORE, so they, out of 183 centers, they gave me the one that was the very worst. And we had a year to fix it or they were going to shut us down. And so as you said earlier, people with competition are rooted in comparison. Fortunately, at SCORE, they quantified absolutely everything. And every single day, you could get a printout of every person in the company and all of their various metrics. And the first thing that I did was to take a look at the patterns and data and to find the people who were best in the company in every area. And I contacted them, and I 
begged, pleaded, borrowed, and uh, shadowed them and just talked strategy with them and did anything that I could to learn their magic. And after two years, we became, instead of number 183 in the company, we were number one in the company. And after how many years? Two years. It took wow. us two years to get wow. there. And we stayed that way for six months until I came to Gallup where, because once I was number one, I completely lost interest. And so uh, even though it was a phenomenal mission-driven organization, I just I said, let me go to Gallup because a lot of what worked wasn't just the best practices that I found within my company, but reading First Break All the Rules, the Gallup book that said, understand your strengths, do what you're best at. And so I said, let me go to Gallup because it, what they do really works and really helps people. And it'll take a lot longer to be number one there because it's a much larger company. So, yeah. um, but you know, I, about the manager piece, so there a, a huge piece. So part of my job, I manage the teachers at this education center, and I also manage the salespeople. And I had a sales component to my role too. I think that's the stereotype. Mm. I'm constantly, everyone's always constantly pushing me towards a sales role because of my woo and my competition. Uh, but in this case, it was a great fit. And, uh, it, you know, I couldn't just do it by myself. Mm -hmm. you know, with, with, there were just too many calls. I, couldn't, I would never have been number one if I was competing against the people who reported to me. And I just, I really enjoyed being part of the team. And their wins were my win. Uh, at one point, I became the number one top seller at SCORE. And the people below me were two, three, and four. Mm -hmm. And the proudest day of my entire career is when one of them passed me. And then the next one passed me. And it was so much better than getting that first place myself because, you know, it was like all of us were the, were the top. And I was just so proud to walk into meetings with them knowing that my people, that I was managing the best people in the company. Right. And, it's, and you had told me on the sidebar, it's not like you made it easy for them, right? I mean, you weren't right. laying down. Your competition wouldn't let you do that. Right. Right. Not at all. Yeah, I push so, them to be the best version of themselves. So I love that story. I think it highlights a couple points about, you know, people with high competition also are seeking seeking the challenge, looking for the, the, the tough turnaround, and that they look externally also to get best practices and to learn from one another. So those external sources of comparison can come from metrics, but it also comes from studying some of the best. Right, and it was my favorite type of competition. Maybe this is my woo, but I don't like competitions where if one person wins and the other person misses out on something, like competing for a, the management spot at work, then one person's going to win and one person gets nothing. Uh, at SCORE and in any other places where I compete, my best friends were the people who I was trying to beat because I would get to know them so well and they would start mentoring me and, and we would become close. And in the end, it really theoretically didn't matter who number one was. You know, we were both, we were both considered the top at the company. You know, we both had all of the rewards and recognition and accolades and uh, compensation that came along with, with the high sales. But it, so that it was really exciting that everyone could really be a winner. Mm-hmm. You know, that brings up a good question kind of um, around, around winning and, and when you do compete. You know, I think, you know, inquiring minds want to know, do you have to win at everything? Are you always racing in the, in the supermarket yes. to the fastest line? Yes? <laughs> Absolutely. And I was laughing before because you said 
people com people with competition will measure something if it can be measured. And I was chuckling to myself, thinking, well, what couldn't be measured? <laughs> I, I believe that I could quantify and win anything. Uh, I do yoga every Saturday, and I win at yoga every <laughs> single week. I, I, I mean, I think Search I lose more than, than I win at yoga. <laughs> yeah, no, absolutely, because for every single position, there's the regular way to do it, the hard way, and the master way to do it. And so I can, I'm keeping track of how many I'm doing at each level, how many everyone around me is doing. I think the mature competition is having that energize me. Mm -hmm. The raw competition would turn, would be turning to them and say, like, suck it, you know, you can't <laughs> do that. I'm so great. Yeah, I, I've gotten to a, great and I point. think that was me in my younger years was I had to win and you had to know that I beat you. Mm -hmm. But when you talk about looking in the mirror, I I want to I love my competition. I want to always be comparing myself to other people. It's it's energizing. But I I think the difference is uh, I need to know that I won. I don't want you to feel like a loser. Mm -hmm. That's really important to me. So how did you get to that place of mature competition? You know, how do we coach or help people invest? Or what did you do to invest in that to really um, help it become a strength, right, instead of just a tendency? Right. Well, I think it's taking a look at what your other strengths are and finding a good companion. I think that my woo and positivity are great companions to enhance my competition. Uh, mm -hmm. I remember as a child there was this game that I loved to play called Perfection. I don't know if anyone else if we used to play that, but it was all these little pieces that were different shapes, and you could play against someone, and it was a, a race to see who could get their 30 pieces done faster than the other person's. Mm -hmm. And the best part was when you won, you pushed a button that made their board explode. So it was very <laughs> dramatic. And, and I remember the first couple of times I played it, and, and I'm talking about maybe being three, four, five years old. Uh, the first few times I lost, and so when my friends weren't there, I practiced it over and over and over again. And no matter which board they picked, I would I would just dominate, and I would do it so quickly. And I would pop the other person's board and make them. And and it just wasn't fun to play with me. And they, <laughs> no one wanted to play that game with me anymore. And so I learned that when you make other people feel bad, they don't want to be your friend. They just don't want to play with you. And I think the beauty in competition is, and the reason why. Uh, something that I've been really focusing on for the last 10 years that I've been studying strengths is something that's really eluded me is why is competition an influencing theme? Why isn't it an executing theme? And what I have what I realized from working with my mentor, uh, Kurt Liesfeld, uh, what he said to me is that you need other people to win. And so it's a matter of influencing other people to help you achieve that goal and when you're in a work situation, you're you're after you after someone helps you win, you still have to work with them, mm. and you want them to help you win time and time again. So this is where my woo really comes in because when people help me win, I naturally feel so much gratitude toward them, and I share that, and and I make them feel really excited about whatever is important to them. So not everyone cares about winning, as we learned. Only 11% of the population does. <laughs> but I try to tie whatever my goal is to whatever their goals are. And so I show them how helping me win in this specific situation help them to achieve, if they have high beliefs, something that they believe in, if they have high responsibility, just the fact that they came through for someone uh, makes them feel great. Mm-hmm. 
I like that notion of the theme dynamics and some of the themes that really work well with your competition to soften it or, or harden it as the as the moment needs. What about kind of interpersonal theme dynamics with partnerships and teams? Um, can you talk a little bit about how how people can best partner with you, knowing that you have high competition and, and maybe the value you bring to those partnerships? Sure, absolutely. So uh, to prepare for this, I met with a couple of phenomenal coaches who love their competition or just know a lot about competition and, and they had some great insight on this question. So as you mentioned before, I spoke to Gallup Certified Strains Coach, Brent O'Bannon. Another Gallup Certified Strains Coach I spoke with was Lisa Ames. And what both of them really spoke so much about team and partner. Lisa talked about the fact that she is the greatest cheerleader for just about anyone. If someone has a goal, she will help them get there mm -hmm. and she's going to make them feel so happy and excited and energized the entire time. When things get tough, you want to call Lisa because she will be there to help you get to that goal. Uh, she also talked about the fact that competition doesn't have to be me versus you and that she gets most excited when she is winning as a team. Mm -hmm. Brent said the same thing, that he told me this fantastic story about this uh, state and national tennis championship that he competed in, and he got excited when he was competing for himself, but when he thought about competing on behalf of his community, that's when he really started to get good. And afterwards, when he won this, this huge championship, the whole community celebrated with him because they also, they were supporting him the whole time and they felt like they had won when he had won. Uh, so that said, we're great cheerleaders and we also need a lot of cheerleading. And, you know, the two most common themes that we see are achiever and relater. Uh, what you said earlier really struck me about how much we celebrate, look in the mirror, compete against yourself. And I think that that really accentuates why. You know, we have a culture where one in every three people is competing against him or herself, those achievers. And relators are known for being very modest. You know, they don't want to brag about themselves. The standing ovation that I love so much would be torture <laughs> for many relators, depending on what their other themes are. No pressure, you guys, for at the end of this. <laughs> right. Because it is going to be the best theme Thursday ever. <laughs> right. Uh, but that said, there's, it's just, it's not acceptable to say to people, I need external recognition. And I even, I once had a manager who said to me, Jamie, all of this talk about credit is making me nauseated. Yeah, I don't want to hear you talk anymore about what you need credit for. And so for me, uh, as you said, it's not, losing is, is almost motivating for me sometimes. You know, when, like at SCORE, when, when we were doing badly at first, that's when I was so excited to learn and grow. Uh, and once I won, I lost interest. And that happened to me so many times. I mean, I got cast in the, one of the leads for the school play my freshman year of high school and completely dropped drama. I was the number one clarinet player at freshman year, so I totally lost interest in that. And then there was a business club where the first time I did a competition, I was if there was something after last place, that's where I would have scored, and I became obsessed with it. And by the end of, of, of high school, at the end of my senior year, I was winning national championships because it was the losing in a way that motivated me to win. And, and having cheerleaders along the way who believed in me. And in high school, I had this incredible mentor, uh, Mrs. Deborah Gaber, 
who had really pushed me and believed in me and gave me really honest feedback. And that's what I need more than anything else. I need a cheering section and I need honest criticism because I want that. It's not going to hurt my feelings. Mm -hmm. it, it, it's almost recognition for me when you care enough and believe in me and my potential enough that you're willing to be honest and give me feedback that's going to help me. And it's going to be hard for me to hear. I'm not going to lie about <laughs> that. But in the end, I'm gonna, when I achieve a goal, I'm going to remember that you're the one who gave me that feedback. Uh, my current, men, my current uh, manager, Scott Brown, is so good in that respect. Uh, I liked Scott the minute that I met him because he immediately told me this story about his wife who is this incredible salesperson and ha and keeps copies of you know of a brag book of all the, the the accolades that she's received and he thought that was so great that you know that she's proud of her achievements and, to and totes them and I said what a, what a great guy and so anytime you know I work with strengths coaches who are the most positive grateful people on the planet and they're constantly sending me thank you notes and that makes me feel so great and it's what makes me love my job what makes me work so many hours to help them and make our strengths program as good as it can be. But recognition only counts for me when it's public. Mm -hmm. So anytime I get those notes, I forward them to Scott. <laughs> and, you know, he doesn't judge me for it. He, he's so, it's the same thing as what I, he's someone with management talent. It, when I win, he feels like he's winning and he supports me on it. And, you know, he gets really excited about it too. And so I think that's, that's my perfect partner. Uh, that's yeah. that's who I married. Also, you know, my husband is woo relator positivity. He'll celebrate anything. So with him, it's never bragging. It's always just something to celebrate together. That's awesome. Makes me think we need to share Scott Brown's email address so all of the strength <laughs> coaches online sure. can can uh, Scott underscore Brown at Gallup.com. <laughs> I love LinkedIn recommendations. Right. Like, any anything that's public. Yeah, I'm I'm the person who does love the standing ovation and and all of those things. And I just if I had one wish to put out to the world, it was that no matter what someone's strengths are, to think about what they need without judging them for what they need. Mm -hmm. You know, just if someone needs public recognition, that's just what they need. Just give it to them. And just as if someone needs private recognition, don't force the public upon them. That's not what they want. Yeah, because in the end, we're trying to energize people, and so give them what right. they need to be able to bring what they what they can bring. Right, exactly. Love that. Jim, I'd imagine there are some folks chomping at the bits with questions. Uh, do you have any for us? Oh, yeah. <laughs> yes, for sure. So let me get a couple out of the way here early, though. Uh, so, Jamie, where is learner for you and where is restorative for you? Those were two separate questions, but... Where do those sit in your in, in your all 34? My first strategic thinking theme is learner at number 12. And I don't, I don't know where my restorative is. Restorative, it's maybe a little bit lower. Than yeah. that. So from a, from a competition standpoint, when we think about learner for you, how do you learn best and how, how do you assimilate? And is it always done in the context of, of, of winning from that standpoint? In other words, I Absolutely. learn what I need to know mm -hmm. to win, right? Right, absolutely. No, learning is always rooted in competition for me, and I learned that early on. And you know, even when I was studying for the GREs for graduate school, my dream, ever since I can remember, was to go to Columbia, and I achieved that dream, but I'm a terrible test taker. So the only way that I could sit down and force myself to memorize all of those words was I knew what percentage I had to beat of all the people taking the test in order to get into Columbia. 
and I spent six months, I memorized um, over 3,000 vocabulary words uh, using my achiever um, because I'm, I, I'm not a strategic thinker. I wasn't going to beat anyone that way. So the way I could beat them is I was going to use my focus, my achiever, to spend more time than anyone else studying. And sure enough, I got a much higher score than I needed. And not only that, but this is hilarious. So I have a board in my office of all of the things that I've won. Like I have a bib from a race that I won. I have a picture that I drew that I never thought I could do. Uh, I, I watched inspirational stories of people winning things the night before to prime myself to win. Mm. You have a playlist, right, for yes. a competition playlist? What are I some do. of the songs on there? Yeah, I have the Rocky theme song, of course. <laughs> That's what everyone's thinking about, I'm sure. I have Survivor. I have all of these great songs about winning. Uh, we are the champion, you know, things like that. <laughs> so, yeah, just to pump myself up when I need to race. And Jamie, how do you measure your performance against others in bullet gallop? Yeah, well, uh, I just won uh, last week the Gallup Royal Star, which is the highest award at, that Gallup has uh, every month. There's there's a winner, and then you vote for the whole year. So uh, I've won that for the past three years. Um, I, you know, I, I look at accolades like that and those awards. Gallup is a great company to work for because they measure everything. That's what we're known for. So... So any any advice, you know, for people who are maybe working at companies where there's not a lot of clear performance metrics or others in the same role on, on how, to, how to get that? Yeah, um, I think that, that they should be working with someone to find a way to win every day. And maybe it's not in their, their home, maybe it's not in their professional life, maybe their competition gets activated in their personal life. Mm -hmm. um, but... You know, as long as they're uh, they're constantly using their competition to understand who the best people are, and that's what's probably going to draw them to other people. I'm drawn to people who are great at something, and, and I know what's great about them. And as a manager, I pull that out of them. As a coach, I pull that out of them. So even if I'm not quote unquote winning, that's how I get to use my competition every single day. And that's going to probably be culturally acceptable in most places and most companies in the world. Hmm. Great point. So Leslie asked this question, how do, you, um, how do you use competition to find the best in others to help them really build their talent? How do you, how do you use that competition to do that? Can maybe give an example. Sure, absolutely. Strains Finder really makes that very easy to have a cheat sheet. When so, uh, one of my mentors and best friends in, at Gallup is Paul Allen, who has his first six strengths are all strategic thinking themes. And I'm hyper aware that I don't have a single strategic thinking theme until number 12. And so I immediately was drawn to him and I said, here's someone who can help me win. Uh, here's someone. So even just the fact that he beats me at, you know, strategic thinking, like I know that I need him in order to be mm -hmm. successful. Yeah. Uh, but so much of that is intuitive. I just know when someone is great. That That's what I just think about all the time. You know, one thing to add to that maybe is you know when they're great because you're watching. Right. right, you're you're keeping track. You've got an eye. You you know where you stand in in terms of um, comparison to others, and so mm -hmm. because maybe you have that keen eye and and you're always observing people, you see when they shine, and then that helps you know what the know how to tap into those strengths of theirs. Right, 
No, I, I absolutely keep track. Even in yoga, to go back to that example, <laughs> I always try to get a spot next to the best people. And just, right. just, just being around them, like Brent O'Bannon said that he admires champions. Uh, you know, my, my, another one of my mentors, Dean Jones, who I consulted about this, talked about the fact that, you know, I'm looking for champions. I'm always studying the best. And I just try to surround myself with those people so that their magic runs, uh, rubs off and I could study what it is about them that is so great that I could take away or utilize in the future. Mara, you and I were talking a little bit about uh, earlier, I think before we went we went live, in, and I, sometimes uh, for, we're arrangers, and I have a ranger woo, and it can look like competition because I want to win, you know, if it, for me, I want to win people, and so I'll do what it takes. I also, it's, Jamie, as you've been thinking about this, and you guys can, I, I'll ask you to respond a little bit to this, I almost think that a ranger uh, theme is it can't be done. So I, I do it because people say it can't be done. We're competition mm -hmm. where you can't do it. So it's mm -hmm. it's more personal. M Mara, would you respond to that? Is that am I accurate in that? Is is we put those two statements together, or how do you think about that when we think competition and a ranger? Yeah, I mean, I think what motivates people with high ranger is that configuring for the most effective. Right, whether it's people or processes, you're you're putting everything together so that it can be as effective as possible, and so the the energy comes from that quick thinking and maneuvering. I think with competition, maybe it sounds like the motivation is is the win though. It's not just effectiveness; it's it's number one, and so the motivation comes from the struggle to the moment of victory and then as you heard Jamie say and then I'm done right and then I'm out I'm gonna go right. start something else right but, but the, the it's the struggle to the win maybe more more than anything yeah no it's just interesting because I always people mm -hmm. here especially here since I've got to Gallup a lot of people are like wow where's your competition because <laughs> I'm and it's it's I think right. we looked it up and it's like 20 and so oftentimes I find that a ranger maybe an arranger maximizer when I'm told it can't be done I get super motiva motivated. Jamie, it sounds like to you when it's, yeah. you had that similar situation, but you take right. it maybe a little more personal. Or for me, not as important that I win as that the team wins or the group wins or the company wins from that standpoint. Um, mm -hmm. So a little bit of different motivation. Um, Jamie, we had another question out there. How do you avoid bulldozing people over and work or play with this competition? Right? How do you stop from running over the top of people? I'm working on that. <laughs> that's, that's a really great observation. Uh, if I have a goal in mind, you know, it, I'm definitely accused of being stubborn, of you know, caring too much about things. And so there's a term that I learned a while ago that has really helped me, and that term is Pyrrhic victory. And it comes from the Odyssey, Homer's Odyssey, that they, they discuss this battle in the Pyrenees Mountains where both sides lost hundreds of thousands of troops and the winning side only had four people who were alive at the end and that's why they quote-unquote won that four out of hundreds of thousands were still alive and at the end of the at the end of the day no one won that war you know mm -hmm. both sides really lost and so the way that I stop bulldozing people or at least try to mm -hmm. is I use my focus to think about well what does winning look like uh, so, it, and sometimes it doesn't mean beating the other person. Sometimes winning means you've built a stronger relationship at the end of the day. And, and I try to think about the long game, not the short game. That's great. It's it's reframing in your mind. What's what's the definition of a win here? 
Right. And that, exactly. That could be a great question for coaches, um, you know, or for managers managing people with high competition. You know, what are what's a what's the real win that we're going for, and get clarity on that, and maybe expand that view. Well, and, and maybe, and we lost Jamie here just for a second. She'll pop back in. Maybe in an immature state, that is the case with competition, is that it just runs ramshot over over individuals as opposed to thinking about the entire, you know, the entirety of, well, hey, what are we trying to accomplish here? What needs to be done? How are we going to pull this together? And it's pulling in those other themes. So that's maybe a balcony and a basement, or, you know, as we think about that, those are some different ways to look at that. Uh, Mara, as we bring, if we get Jamie back, sometimes things happen and we lose that. We're at a good point to start wrapping this up. Do you want to put any final touches on when we think about competition here? Any kind of final touches as we wrap this up? Yeah, I mean, I think Jamie did a great job kind of dispelling some of the bias and, and putting a face to competition. I think, um, you know, it's it's about comparison, and so people with competition are never going to not compare. So it's not helpful to ask them to stop doing that, but to help them think about better ways, um, as that last example showed, better ways to win for the team, or um, or really better ways to to ensure that they aren't there's no bodies in their wake. I think. Um, you know, you get the best of people with high competition when you have clarity in comparison. So setting them up for success by helping them see metric scorecards like that. You get the worst of people with competition when you ignore their victories or you minimize their needs because they aren't what your own are. So that recognition is important. I think you can count on people with high competition to always bring some enthusiasm to light a fire. And I think what they, what they need from you is, is that encouragement back and, um, and celebrations when they do win. You heard Jamie saying a celebration is important. So with those folks with high celebration, you know, or high competition, celebrate with them. Yeah, no, very good. Mara, thank you uh, for filling in for Kurt here today. You did a great job. It was and an honor. It's, uh, it's, it's always great as we kind of bring these theme Thursdays in for landing. I always say that. Uh, you say that with Kurt all the time. As we bring these in, we just have a few more to go. Uh, thanks for filling in for him. I was going to say, as we, as we bring Jamie back in, hopefully we'll get her. Yay! We thought maybe your battery gave up the ghost and lost the competition, of, and, and we lost. Did we lose you? Can you hear us, Jamie? Yeah, I'm just Okay, perfect. Hey, as we wrap this up, Jamie, I want to say thank you for being a great partner in the strengths movement. Uh, you, it's always fun when you're on campus and I get a chance. You know, you're in New York all the time, and I, I don't get out there, and you don't get here as often as I'd like, but thanks for pushing forward. This movement needs someone leading the charge from the front and saying, no, I'm I'm not going to want to really push this thing and win on it. Right. And we've needed that. And so, Jamie, thank you for being that the tip of the yes. spear on um, it. You know, I appreciate that. Sure, Jim. We forgot to talk about this funny thing that I tried to do with all of the... Uh, I don't usually sit around a desk surrounded by my trophies and my, my medals around my neck. That was to kind of accentuate yes. the joke. <laughs> No, but I think very important when we think about, especially yeah. here at Gallup, we spend a lot of time in that recognition space of really uh, honoring and, and recognizing those who do that. And so I know your desk is filled with those, and they, they mean a lot to you. Um, and that's important, right? I mean, that's one of those kinds of things right. where it's it's important to do. So 
we, you know, we applaud your greatness in, in what you do. I'm excited uh, for you. You're number six right now, and uh, we'll we'll wait for the day when you're number one in that space. And, and I think uh, I think you can do it. And so uh, thanks for your partnership as well and all the things that we do. I'll remind everyone to take full advantages of all the resources we have available at the Gallup Strength Center, just uh, gallupstrengthcenter.com, all one word. Send us your questions or comments, and if you'd like to be a guest blogger, we are looking for those as well, and you can uh, send us some information. We'll consider you for that. Send us an email, coaching at gallup.com, and then put guest blogger in the subject line, and uh, we'll flag those and get back to you and, and, uh, and see what we can do for you as well. You can catch the recorded audio and video of this show, as long as the, all the past ones. We've got about 125 of them now. As, as well as all the links to our Facebook page, YouTube page, and uh, iTunes and RSS feeds. Everything is out at the coach's blog, coaching.gallup.com. We've got a lot of meetups going on around the world, some 30 sun. I'd like to get 100, so we've got a ways to go to get that done. I'm taking that as my personal competition to go from 30 to 100. <laughs> I was going to say, put uh, Jamie on it. That's your I, achiever. Yeah. I need to. Yeah, I get that thing in yeah. there and get it done. We, we have. I'm getting a lot of calls on those. If you haven't seen our meetup page, Go to the coach's blog and look at the meetup tab. If there's not one in your city, maybe you should start one. If you want to do that, if you're interested in doing it, contact me directly, jim underscore collison at gallup.com, and we've got all the resources that you need to get one of those started. I'll remind you that we have StrengthsFinders apps available both on Android and iOS. Just go to either of the stores and search StrengthsFinder. If you can't remember what your top five are, or if you're a coach and you have people who can't remember what their top five are, a great way to have access to that on their phone, make it their lock screen, do whatever it takes, but uh, put it on their phone, and they can get a reminder of their top five as they log in each time. We uh, Hopefully you downloaded the companion guide for this. We have seven or so of those available for each one of these shows. If you didn't get it, you can still go out and download it there on the live page and uh, get access to it. And then go back and re-listen to it again, and we'll make those all available as we get to the end of the series. If you found this helpful, please share it. And we want to thank everyone for listening today. If uh, Well, I'll say with that, thanks for listening, everybody. Goodbye. <laughs>